2: gave Facebook absolutely no guidance whatsoever on what its policy should be. It could have said a bunch of things like, we want you to develop a new world leader policy, something to do here with what you're going to do with accounts that violate your rules multiple times. And here are sort of the ambit that you should operate within. And it absolutely didn't do that at all. It completely declined to give any guidance at all. And that's why I think it's a a real problem for Facebook at this point.
3: I'm Quinta Jurassic, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, May 6, 2021. The wait is over. Four months after Facebook indefinitely banned Donald Trump from its platform following the Capitol riot, the Facebook Oversight Board, the platform's self appointed quasi court, has weighed in on whether or not it was permissible for Facebook to do so. And the answer is complicated. Mark Zuckerberg can still keep Trump off his platform for now, but the board says that Facebook must review its policies and make a final decision about the former president's fate within six months. To discuss the decision, we convened a special episode of Arbiters of Truth, our Lawfare podcast miniseries on our online information ecosystem. And this time, Evelyn Duick and I are answering the questions, not asking them. Lawfare Deputy Managing Editor Jacob Schultz also joined us for a conversation about the Oversight Board's ruling, hosted by Lawfare Editor-in-Chief Benjamin Wittes. Did the Oversight Board make the right call? What might the mood be like in Facebook headquarters right now? Or, for that matter, Twitters? And is the decision really the Oversight Board's Marbury vs. Madison moment? It's the Lawfare Podcast, May 6th. The Facebook Oversight Board rules on Trump.
0: Evelyn Dweck, get us started. What did the Facebook Oversight Board do today? What did it hold? And what did it require of Facebook?
2: So it upheld Facebook's decision to freeze Trump's account on January 7, 2021, in the aftermath of the January 6th riot. But it said that Facebook's decision to make that ban indefinite was not a proportionate response. And it kicked the decision back to Facebook and said, come back to us within six months with a better decision.
0: And for those who are lost in the mists of the history of this, what does that mean to uphold what they did on a particular date, but to say that they're Their response was not proportionate or within the penalties that they'd listed. Unpack it for us. What does it mean?
2: I mean, it's a great question. We are building this plane as we're flying it, or at least the, the oversight board is. This is not something that we've seen before or that was sort of really expected within the way that Facebook had framed the question. So it had pretty much asked for a thumbs up, thumbs down decision on the account permanently. It wanted to settle this. It didn't want us to be going around and around in circles on what do we do with Trump's account. And the board said no. The board said, Facebook, you're trying to shirk your responsibilities here and make it our problem. And we don't want it to be our problem. So we're going to throw the the hot potato back to you. So it's not like this is you know an established procedure that is laid out in the bylaws that, you know, we all could have expected. This is sort of the oversight board is getting inventive and trying a new procedural maneuver that we haven't really seen before. So I can't really unpack it any more than, than that. Quinta,
0: if you were Mark Zuckerberg, would you consider today's ruling a vindication of your decision to set up the Facebook oversight board or would you be committing seppuku As a penance for your folly.
3: Well, God, when you put it like that. Look, I'm not going to try to peer inside the the distant mind of our, our god king, Mark Zuckerberg. I do think, as Evelyn says, there's a way in which today's ruling is... Uh, frustrating for Facebook because they now have to deal with this problem of Trump again, which I'm sure they were not looking forward to. And I do wonder if they're kind of looking at Twitter's decision just to permanently get rid of him, sort of wistfully, and wondering if that was just the the better approach. On the other hand, I think you could also argue that this is a good outcome for Facebook insofar as The oversight board that it sort of kickstarted seems to be working if the goal is to sort of create an oversight structure for Facebook's content moderation decisions and, you know, create more legitimacy and buy-in on the part of Facebook's users and the public uh, so it seems less like this is just up to the whims of Mark Zuckerberg. I think you can argue that there there's a real benefit to Facebook there insofar as the the board seemed to really try to take a kind of careful, measured approach, emphasizing that you know they're here to ask at least some tough questions, if not all of them, about Facebook's oversight processes. I know there there's a common criticism of the board that it's just you know Facebook PR, and so in that sense, perhaps it's a great day for Facebook, and that we're spending all day talking about. Facebook's PR. <laughs> so I think there are a lot of different ways to look at it. It's really I don't know if there's any one answer. It's sort of a you know a multi-dimensional object that changes based on your position that you're looking at it from.
0: All right. So that is a great segue to uh, where I want to go, which is to look at it from about ten different points of view. However, before we do that, I think it would be good to have a good. Summary of exactly what the board said and what it upheld about what Facebook did and what it rejected. So, Jacob, walk us through the board's action. What did they say was cool and what did they say was not cool?
4: Yeah, so there's a lot there. So, any sort of summary will necessarily omit a bunch of things, but the top line is that they uphold Facebook's decision to. Ban Trump on January 7th for his behavior in the preceding days. And they do that, but they ding Facebook for the way that it characterized his ban. So, really, a lot of the decision is devoted to this question of Facebook refers to the ban as indefinite, right? And you might in your head think that indefinite is perhaps a synonym for something like permanent. But the board really comes down hard on Facebook for the arbitrary nature of that characterization of the ban. And
0: just to be clear that in the board's view, indefinite is not a synonym for permanent. Why not?
4: Yeah. So the reason is really just that according to the board, and we learn this from this decision is that there are two normal ways that Facebook will ban someone, right? They will either specify a a predetermined period of time for which the ban will endure, or they will say you are permanently banned. And the the sticky thing about indefinite, right, is that it is literally indefinite. It is not defined, right? And I think that's, that's the part of it that the oversight board takes issue with. And it takes issue with it because it is, it, at least as you read this decision, it's a sui generis punishment that they use for Trump. It's not something, it's not like they're pulling from their list of ways that they deal with normal bad behavior on Facebook to to punish somebody, but instead they're reaching for this novel idea of an indefinite punishment, right? So that's the real thrust of the objection. It's, it's one, that it's this arbitrary reach for something that is not anywhere in Facebook's rule set. And, and two, it's, it's that, right, it, it's an issue of expectation setting. It's something that is indefinite is literally not defined. Um, so the user who has been indefinitely banned is not clear on what's exactly happening to them. So that's, that's what the main thrust of the opinion is, but there's tons of little threads underneath it. So there's a lot of talk from the board chastising Facebook for the ways in which its policies are scattershot, listed in a bunch of different places, opaque and, and things of that nature. And they walk through, as they do with all their cases, an analysis of whether or not the core decision by Facebook, in this case to ban Trump, Is consistent with three things, whether it's consistent with Facebook's own rules, whether it's consistent with Facebook's values, which are these one word, very vague sounding, but there are some specific qualities that they have per Facebook's policies, and then also international human rights standards. So they do... I think there'll be a temptation among people who are maybe newer to the oversight board to look at this and be like, oh, this is sort of weird. Why are they reaching for Facebook's values? Why are they looking at international humanitarian law? But again, here, in, in, like in all other cases, they go through this analysis on all those prongs and they come out on the side that Trump's conduct did. And the word they use is severely violate Facebook's rules and severely violated human rights law.
0: Evelyn, is this a win for Facebook or a loss?
2: Honestly, I think it's a loss for Facebook because now they have to deal with this problem again. The The ball is back in their court. They have up to six months to decide what to do with President Trump or ex-President Trump's account, there's also a lot of really serious demands from the board from Facebook to do a whole bunch of really sweeping things. For example, to make an investigation on the effect of its platform and design choices in leading up to the January six riot and how its platform contributed to the events that day and to the to the narrative of electoral fraud it also you know requires uh, m- much more transparency around its policy on strikes on accounts and how many strikes users can get before they are suspended so there's a lot of really substantive demands. Um, Of course, all of those are not binding and Facebook has 30 days to respond to those, but it will be under significant pressure, one hopes, if we can maintain the public attention to respond and substantively. But I really think it's this question of they have to decide what to do with President Trump's account again. And, you know, there was a Pew Research survey released just today that found that Americans are pretty much exactly evenly split on whether President Trump should be allowed back on social media. And so whatever Facebook decides, it's going to upset a lot of people. Okay,
0: so I want to argue with everything that everybody says today. So don't take this personally, Evelyn. But I want to argue the other side of this. This is a big win for Facebook. What the oversight board said is what you did was right, you correctly enforced your values there's a little punishment a little problem on the remedy side so clarify your rules and figure out how it applies but basically we're validating what you did january 6th and 7th why shouldn't facebook look at this and say hey we win either way we can reinstate him six months from now with some rules about sort of rhapsodies about free speech Or we can keep them off forever six months from now with rules about public safety. But we have, you know, Mike McConnell and Jamal Green behind us on the actions we've already taken. This is a real validation of the idea of setting up the oversight board to review us. We got a
2: bunch of graybeards to say, you did it right. So strong disagree. First of all, I think, Mark, like, on a personal level, Mark Zuckerberg hates thinking about this stuff. You know, I listened to an interview with him uh, about a month ago where he said, on a good week, I spend most of my time on virtual reality, right? Like, he does not want to be thinking about what to do with uh, Trump's account. So on a personal level, it's a loss. But on on a greater level... I think this just sets us up to do it all over again, and Facebook doesn't like being in the news for this stuff, and here it's going to make another decision within six months, it's going to be controversial one way or the other, and it may well end up back at the oversight board, and I really don't think this permanent cycle and ongoing, you know, flagellation from pretty much everyone, and including the media, is what Facebook wants at all.
0: Quinta... Do you think this is a win or a loss for Facebook?
3: I'm sort of ambivalent, but I I do want to note that if you read it closely, if you read the decision closely, there's a lot of material in there that's not particularly flattering of Facebook. Um, It's not as if the board just said, you know, what a great job you did. Okay, you had some procedural problems and should have been a little clearer about what precisely the punishment was, but, you know, overall pat on the back. There's some... Criticism there about Facebook's policies. Emma Lenzo at the Center for Democratic Technology tweeted a really interesting point, which is that according to the board, Facebook took down five of Trump's posts before it outright suspended him, but that there were 20 other posts that had been initially flagged for removal and then had gone through what facebook refers to as a cross check system for you know prominent posts posts from prominent people which is i believe is is news that that exists and that those takedown decisions had been overruled so emma's point was that that's an 80% error rate or facebook has been basically routinely bending its rules in Trump's favor, even though the board says that Facebook told them that Facebook did not rely on its newsworthiness policy to leave Trump's material up. So there are a lot of question marks there about what exactly happened. But I do think that if you if you read carefully, the picture that you get in terms of how the platform dealt with Trump as a user is really, really unflattering. Um, and the question in my mind is whether Facebook ends up taking this opportunity to standardize things or whether, as Evelyn says, we sort of end up just going around and around and around like Groundhog Day.
4: So one other thing too, to not to pile on you, Ben, but one other thing that I, I do think when you read this comes out looking not so great for Facebook, or at least is, is alerts people to things that happen at Facebook that maybe they're not so interested in us knowing about is that you learn when you're reading this decision, that Facebook has an entirely separate moderation system for quote, high profile accounts, which is, they call it the cross check system, which is effectively two layers of review, right? Something gets flagged and then gets reviewed again. And, you know, that's the type of thing that sure we might imagine that something like that happens, but that sort of, handling of high-profile accounts is not, I don't think it's necessarily a particularly flattering thing for Facebook. And the board has a thoughtful meditation in there where they say something to the effect of, you know, maybe there's the same rules for all users, but when the process is so different for high-profile users versus normal users, it it raises some serious questions. And Evelyn, who wrote up a great post on Lawfare, notes that that might raise some interesting questions about who is involved in that second layer of view. So I think as with all of the Facebook oversight decisions, there's also this like information forcing function that doesn't tend to end well for Facebook.
0: But is the goal to be flattering to Facebook or is the goal to relieve Facebook of decision-making obligations and to shift the obligation of decision-making to some purportedly neutral party?
2: So it's almost certainly the latter, which is why this is a decisive loss. Because in throwing the decision back to Facebook, the board gave Facebook absolutely no guidance whatsoever on what its policy should be. It could have said a bunch of things like, we want you to develop a new world leader policy, something to do here with what you're going to do with accounts that violate your rules multiple times. And here are sort of the ambit that you should operate within. And it absolutely didn't do that at all. It completely declined to give any guidance at all. And that's why I think it's a a real problem for Facebook at this point.
0: All right. Second question. If you are Jack Dorsey today, are you chuckling in your beer about the folly that Mark Zuckerberg got himself into while you just banned the guy and walked away and never thought twice about it? Or are you concerned that Facebook has given itself top cover and you uh, look like an
2: autocrat? Evelyn, get us started. Gosh, I find it very difficult to get into the mind of Jack Dorsey. I think that Twitter is probably pretty happy that it has dropped out of the news cycle and settled this question decisively. It said permanent means permanent, and it will not be revisiting this question. And now for the next six months, Facebook's going to be consumed in controversy and Twitter can just sort of sit there twiddling its thumbs and eating popcorn on the side. I also think YouTube, uh, sadly, to my great regret, might be a little bit happy with this decision because it seems somewhat vindicated by the board's reasoning, which said, look, you were right to ban it at the time, but indefinite not good enough and you might need to put it back up at some point. It's quite clear from the board's reasoning that it does think a permanent suspension is disproportionate in all but the most severe cases. And so that question of you know when the account should come back up is now up to Facebook. But that's something that YouTube has already said. We're going to reinstate this account at some point when we decide that the risk is low enough. So it's almost quite in alignment with what YouTube uh, has done, which you know I'm no fan of YouTube, so that brings me great sadness.
0: Quinta, Jacob, what do you think? Is this a good day for YouTube and Twitter or a day that Facebook will remember as maybe painful, but heck, we got what we wanted, the top cover of the oversight board and a day that Jack Dorsey will remember as the day that his relative lack of vision bit him in the ass?
1: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Hey, lawfare listeners. Ben Wittes here. I want to tell you about the first time I got a report from the folks at Delete Me. And enter code lawfare twenty at checkout that's joindeleteme dot com slash lawfare twenty code lawfare twenty
3: I think what's important to keep in mind here is the fact that Facebook and Twitter play really different roles, and part of that is just that they're different sizes like. We talk about Facebook and Twitter in the same breath as, you know, big social media platforms. Facebook is so much bigger <laughs> than than Twitter is. And so I think it it often, you know, it gets more flack. You can argue that that may be justified because it's just, it's huge when you look at it compared to Twitter. The other thing to to keep in mind, I think, is that... Trump used both platforms differently. And what I mean by that is that he was really a native user of Twitter, right? Like he he loved the Twitter app. He used it on his phone. Um, he never really seemed to adapt to any other apps. You know, he didn't go on Gab. He didn't go on Parler. But he loved Twitter, And his Facebook posts were mostly cross posts of his tweets. So I kind of wonder in a way if the Twitter ban is actually the more important one of the two of these that, you know, that is really the one that kind of cut him off at the knees and that we might be having a very different conversation if somehow, you know, Twitter had been the one that did indefinite or time limited ban and. Facebook had just banned him altogether because his power really was from his reach on Twitter, even though the platform is smaller. I don't want to say that, you know, his Facebook presence didn't have any power. Politico had an article yesterday about how he was hoping that a return to Facebook would sort of allow him to begin fundraising again because of the platform's ad mechanism. But... I do think it's important to keep in mind that, you know, this is not the most technologically adept person in the world. And so there are important distinctions between how he as an individual uses different platforms and then how his team also uses them to send out varying messages or to fundraise.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think sort of echoing what Quintus said, to me, the strange part about this is because we're dealing with this now in May, right, as opposed to in January, there's a way that this whole Facebook oversight ordeal is making people form this artificial third person memory that the Facebook ban was actually the one that was the most important when all these things first happened in January, right? Like Evelyn and I both wrote things when Trump got banned from all these networks. And I remember at least for me, my exclusive focus was, on Twitter, effectively, and noting cursorily the other platforms that had banned him. But I think there's this weird thing happening now where people are reconceptualizing what had happened, you know, however many months ago to think that this Facebook ban was a big deal, when in reality, I don't really think there are very very many people at all paying attention to this. And at first it was this Twitter ban that that was the huge thing because this is something that I've written about, but like, and Ben, you've written about this too. Twitter for Trump was effectively synonymous with his entire presidency, right? It's inseparable from his entire presidency and him losing Twitter effectively. To me, it seemed like, you know, this is the end of this guy's term in office, whereas the Facebook thing is completely incidental. And I think look, maybe there's a way that you could argue this the other way around, but in some ways it's a huge win for Jack Dorsey. insofar so far as him not going through these layers of review and not going through these layers of filtration minimizes the way that people are going to remember and think about the fact that his action and his decision in those fatal few days was by far the more important one. So I think in that sense, it's a, it's a victory for, for Jack Dorsey for evading scrutiny and sort of taking what's effectively the path of least resistance.
2: So I just want to do what, when I talk to people at Facebook, is called double click on something that both Quinta and Jacob said and, and supplemented. So Quinta's point about the broader ramifications of the ban, one really interesting tidbit in the oversight board decisions is that the board asked Facebook 46 questions and Facebook declined to answer seven entirely and two partially. And one of the questions that Facebook declined to answer was whether account suspension or deletion impacts the ability of advertisers to target the accounts of followers. So it's unclear at this stage what the suspension of Trump's account, what effects that has for the ability to target Trump's followers as a political matter. So that could be quite a significant impact of the ban if if it does prevent such targeting, regardless of the fact that ex-President Trump didn't use the platform directly quite as much. And I think Jacob's point about the way we conceive of the decision in retrospect versus at the time is also really, really important. One of the problems was at the time, all of these platforms were falling like dominoes and in one sense sort of just one upping each other, you know, Facebook banned for uh, 24 hours. I think there was sort of another ban by another platform for a a week or, and and they were sort of all edging towards the edge before they, you know, held hands and jumped uh, and decided on the the permanent or indefinite bans. Uh, And I think that that's why it gave this, conception or or fear, that it wasn't actually based on any principle as such, but was all just sort of business and strategically convenient at the time.
0: All right. I want to be disruptive here and suggest that this outcome is much better for Facebook than it is for Twitter, and it's much better for Facebook than you guys are giving them credit for. So... What Facebook fundamentally wants is a path of diversion from accountability for decision making. They want somebody to tell them what to do. And here you have the oversight board telling them what you did was good. You you followed your rules. There's no problem under international human rights law if Facebook can be, as a private entity, said to violate human rights law. They didn't hear in removing the content. And uh, you've got a problem on the remedies side. So you've got six months to come up with a policy and implement it. And this is exactly what Mark Zuckerberg wanted in life, which was somebody to tell him what to do so he could deflect responsibility for it. So over the next six months, they come up with a policy that says in grave breaches of using the language of the oversight board, grave, uh, serious, severe breaches of Facebook values and, and the terms of service, community standards, we reserve the right to do a permanent ban or they permanently ban him or they say, you know, proportionality never favors permanent bans, so we have a three-year ban, and they do that. But either way, they can point to the oversight board saying, this is what the deficiencies in your action were, and here's what you need to do to correct it. And they can deflect responsibility onto some group of graybeards Explain to me why this is not a better situation to be in than YouTube, which has no answer to the question of what to do next or how to justify what it did. Or Twitter, which is basically uh, operating by Jack Dorsey, Ipsy Dixit.
2: Well, YouTube's all fine because it has some sort of magic dust that shields it from public scrutiny no matter what it does. So that's why it's in the best position of all. But as to the the rest of your points, I mean, I think I think I probably disagree with just about everything. I don't think that the board at all said that this was consistent with international human rights law. I think they condoned the decision in the exigencies of the moment. But I think it was saying this is absolutely not proportionate and you don't have a clear policy. This, this is a total totally disproportionate response, this indefinite ban that gives no certainty uh, and doesn't tell users what they need to do. They just have no idea what they need to do to comply with Facebook's policies based on the current current rules.
0: But hang on a second. They said that they specifically held up Facebook's rules on encouraging or supporting violent uh, incidents or dangerous individuals or groups. They specifically held it up against international human rights law and upheld the rule on that basis. So yeah, they, they, they have a problem on the remedy side. But on the, on the basic question, was Facebook right on January 7th to say, you can't access this account
2: anymore? They upheld what Facebook did. But that's the least interesting and least consequential part of this decision what happened on January 7 is not the most important part of what happens now. The most important part of what happens now is what happens to um, Mr. Trump's account going forward, but also importantly, and this part gets lost in the conversation all the time, but as the uh, non-American on this podcast, I'm going to take the liberty. This is a really important decision, or should have been, for the accounts of world leaders all around the world. You know, the Angela Merkels who looked at what Facebook and Twitter did and went, oh, not sure about that, who were all sort of wanting to have some guidance here on how Facebook should treat world leaders more generally and for as long as there's social media there's going to be world leaders on social media who use social media for nefarious ends and provoke you know inflammatory responses and the board basically had nothing to say about that it didn't reference uh, other world leaders at all it didn't reference that this decision has extreme consequences in places like India for example or the Philippines and i think that's a severe abdication of responsibility and it also means that Facebook is going to have to continue facing lots of criticism, as it tries to work out what it is going to do. Jacob, what happens next?
4: Yeah, so, I mean, there's a bunch of different things in the future. Most immediately, Facebook has, they've got 30 days to respond to the non-binding policy recommendations. So again, the way that the oversight board operates is they have two, basically, they do two separate things, right? They issue binding determinations on Facebook vis-a-vis the narrow question of, you know, what to do with the account or the posting question, but they also will issue these non-binding policy recommendations. So a lot of the things that we're talking about and, and even some things that we haven't touched on are delivered in the form of recommendations written out by the oversight board that Facebook has 30 days to get back to the board and and write a public response about how they're going to address or whether they're going to address each of the policy recommendations. And to Evelyn's point last time around the way that Facebook dealt with the first slate of decisions that the oversight board handed down, I was pretty disappointed about the way that Facebook handled it, right? There's a lot of, we will consider and like, we will review or we are taking a look at and that, to me, strikes me as something that is very likely to happen in 30 days. So there's that. And then there's also the major question, again, as as we've been talking about in this case, the Oversight Board offered an entirely new timeline, which is the six months for Facebook to make its determination about what it should actually do with Trump's account. So there's two big pending things looming on the horizon and channeling Evelyn. I do really think that that'll be... An interesting moment to see, especially to the extent to which a lot of what was happening here was the oversight board punting. You know, when you punt, you've got to see what comes back and we'll see what comes back at those intervals.
0: Quinta, what are you looking forward to next as this develops further?
3: Well, I would say that I'm looking forward to seeing what Trump himself says. But in fact, he's already weighed in on his his new social media platform, which looks suspiciously like a blog. Uh, So for listeners who aren't familiar, he now has a, a new blog that is called From the Desk of Donald J. Trump, where he sends out things that look suspiciously like tweets, and you can repost them on Facebook or Twitter, and you can also like them, although if you click the little heart, it doesn't actually appear to do anything. And so, of course he's he's already been complaining about how terrible this is, and he's being censored and and all that kind of thing in all in all seriousness, I do think it will be interesting to watch how Trump responds going forward. I thought it was notable that he's been saying for months that he wanted to start a social network and that he unveiled the day before the oversight board's decision. This uh, nominal social network, which is not actually social because he's the only person on it, I I will be interested to see whether or not he attempts to build that out at all and if he is even remotely serious about creating a kind of Facebook, Twitter alternative for himself. Frankly, I think that's pretty unlikely just because that's hard and he's not the hardest working person in the world, but I will be keeping an eye on it.
0: Evelyn, how about you? As this develops, what are you looking for
2: next? So I'm deeply curious about how Facebook is going to respond to the really quite substantive demands from the Oversight Board about things like a comprehensive review of Facebook's potential contribution to the narrative of electoral fraud and the way it exacerbated tensions in the country. So BuzzFeed has previously reported uh, leaks that Facebook has done something along those lines precisely internally, um, but we only have bits and pieces, and the Oversight Board is calling for this to be an open reflection. And sort of like, you know, maybe it's a trust and reconciliation process for, for social media. We don't know what went on on Facebook in the lead up to the election, in the aftermath of the election and in the lead up to January 6th. Um, we do know that a lot of really important things happened on there. We know that, for example, the important role that posts have played in compiling evidence against people involved uh, in those events. But the only people that really know are the really important things about, you know, public discourse online in those weeks, people within these companies and it's a completely black box. And that could be a really useful process to start answering some of these questions that honestly, none of us have an answer to, which is how do these platforms work and how are they affecting civic discourse and elections? We all have a lot of hypotheses about this. It's one of the most important questions in the modern era and no one actually really knows. And so, you know, the the kind of open reflection that the board is calling for there could actually be a real value add.
0: I have one more question that I want you each to address. Jacob, first, is this a good decision or a bad decision or somewhere in between?
4: I don't know. I mean, that's such a such a fool's errand of a question, I think, in some ways. But to me, it was an interesting decision. And it was. I was pleasantly surprised at how long it was, right? So the earlier Facebook oversight board decisions are more in the neighborhood of we pin them all on a little plug for our sub page on Lawfare, where we pull PDFs of all the decisions. And those tend to be more in the neighborhood of, you know, 10 to 12 single space pages. And this is far longer than that. So not anything horrible, but I was pleasantly surprised to see the way in which the board was giving this lots of attention and, and was really walking through. And I, I will also say that to me, one of the more redeeming aspects of all this has been the information forcing function that these decisions play, and Evelyn can speak more to sort of the dynamics between the board and Facebook. But if nothing else, it was helpful and interesting to me to see more under the hood about how Facebook makes these decisions and and about sort of specific components of Facebook's policy. So leaving aside the question of whether they did the right thing, I think the way that they approach the the process yielded some interesting things that I think will, that certainly have lots of value beyond just the narrow confines of Trump. And I think it, again, as everyone here has mentioned, it's a bit of a trap to just get stuck in terms of thinking about what this means for Trump. There's there's lots of important and interesting things that have nothing to do with Trump here.
0: Quinta, what do you think? Good decision, bad decision, or middling decision?
3: <laughs> the question reminds me of a debate I heard on a podcast once where the podcast Roundtable was debating uh, what the best empire was in world history. Like I, I sort of don't know what that means without a sense of what the rubric is by which I'm judging good and bad.
0: Well, come on. I mean, I mean, we, we, we all the time evaluate the institutional performance of the Supreme Court. Uh, this is an institution that was set up to play a certain role. And it's an adjudicative role. And so one thing that we should ask, I think, is, is it playing the role that we imagined the oversight board or that Mark Zuckerberg or, or Noah Feldman or Kate Klonick imagined that the oversight board was going to play? Is the oversight board performing, overperforming or underperforming?
3: So I think the reason that it's difficult to answer that question is that when we talk about, you know, was this a good or a bad Supreme Court decision, we're weighing it against, you know, all the jurisprudence in that particular area of law and looking at how the court has performed, you know, since the 1790s. So part of what's what's difficult here to figure out is that we're really in the first days of the court or the the board, um and I think my slip there is telling that You know, there's been a lot of talk about, like, is this the Facebook oversight boards, you know, Marbury versus Madison moment? Um, And I know Evelyn has written in her piece, which everyone should definitely read, that that may be overstated. But it is, I think the comparison is useful insofar as it's a reminder that, like, wherever this ends up, we're really at the beginning. And so a lot of the question here of, like, is it good or bad is ranking it against, you know, what do you imagine the Facebook Oversight Board to be? And I actually don't think that anyone knows the answer to that question yet. So I will say, if you look at the decision as a question of sort of how is the board conceptualizing its own role, it definitely strikes me that it is careful. They clearly spent a lot of time on it, that there is a, a clearly an element of sort of wanting to recognize the the fact that it's constrained in some way you know it's it's not telling facebook like just overhaul the entire thing but that it sort of says okay yes you know you this this individual choice about what you did with Trump's account was OK, but here are all these procedural questions to kind of signal that it's serious. So in that sense, as a kind of like institution building aspect, I think there's there's some serious stuff here, um, although, as Evelyn points out, there's also the argument that, you know, it kind of punted on the one thing that it's supposed to do, which is answer the hard questions that Facebook has to deal with.
0: Evelyn, what do you think? At the, at the end of the day, how should we evaluate the institutional performance of the oversight board
2: here? So I think this is useful framing. I think it was not a massive flub, which is good news. There was a lot of pressure and a lot of attention on this. And there's some really, you know, important stuff in this decision. I think it proves the value and promise of the board more generally to provide an information forcing mechanism a check on facebook's decisions more generally but i think the point that quinta just made is really really important no one really knows what this thing is or supposed to do yet and i think my opinion is that the board has misunderstood its role in in a fundamental way and i think that your statement ben about you know it's an adjudicative role and so you know the way we evaluate supreme court decisions is how we should evaluate the boards decisions and i actually don't think that's right i think that you know so much of content moderation in history has been driven by lawyers and american lawyers in particular so we sort of slip into that register of talking about a lot of these things but i think content moderation is fundamentally different to offline speech adjudication and the board's role here is fundamentally different to the supreme court's role it was created to review policies and to give policy advisory statements and to recommend policies. And the board just declined to do that. There's been a real temptation, as Quinta mentioned, to draw analogies to Marbury v. Madison in saying, you know, here the board in declining to answer the question about what the policy should be was accruing to itself the much greater power to force Facebook to to step up to to the plate and take responsibility for itself and to always be able to weigh in at the end of the day on whether Facebook has done the right thing. But I think, you know, the reason why Marbury was important was because it wasn't clear whether the Supreme Court had that power. This is really different. It's entirely clear under the the board's charter and the bylaws, that it was set up to do things like make policy recommendations. It's not a question whether it has that power. And Facebook specifically asked it to exercise it. And I think that the board needs to sort of stop thinking about itself so much as a judicial mechanism of yore and more as part of this new system of of freedom of expression and and content moderation. And I will just say on that last point, the other thing that it hasn't fully reckoned with yet and really needs to get a wriggle on in looking at more closely is the way in which Facebook can and should have rules that are different to the rules that states are permitted to have under international human rights law or under, you know, for example, the First Amendment. It's clear that content moderation rules can and should be different. It's not clear how we should think about that yet. And the board really isn't addressing that in any comprehensive way as yet.
0: We are going to leave it there. Quinta Jurassic, Evelyn Dweck, Jacob Schultz, thank you all for joining
3: us. You've been listening to Arbiters of Truth, the Lawfare Podcast's mini-series on disinformation. You can find past episodes in the Lawfare Podcast feed, and we'll be back with another episode next Thursday. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. Our audio engineer is Ian Enright, and our producer is Jen Howell. Please rate and review the Lawfare Podcast in whatever app you use. And thanks for listening.